Good morning. Uh, welcome to Westside Foursquare Church. We just had a wonderful time of worship, and uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit was powerful and palpable. And you know what? That's what we need in these times. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus and the Holy Spirit that are going to make a difference in our times. So I want to pray this morning as we uh, get started. Um, so if you'll join me in that. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you guide us by your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we pray, God, that in these uncertain uh, and crazy times that, Lord, we would tune into you. God, it's like a radio. You are constantly speaking. You are constantly uh, speaking life and truth and everything that we need. And God, it is our responsibility to tune in to your voice. And so we ask this morning that we would be tuned in to your voice, that your word would speak to us, and God, that you would help us to discern the difference between truth and lies and good and evil, and God, that we would hear your voice as the good shepherd, and we as your sheep would follow your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So something I want to speak about this morning is something that I've actually been meditating on and thinking on for a couple of months or more now, um, and I think it's really important, but I want to start with the word. If you will turn with me, and please, if you have your Bible, either your paper Bible or your digital Bible, either one, either flip or click, it doesn't matter to me. But will you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now, First uh, and Second Timothy are letters that Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, who was one of his protégés. And uh, in this, there is a prophetic word that Paul gives that describes what people are going to be like in the last days before Jesus comes back. And so I want to read this passage, 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 1. Paul warns Timothy, he says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people, now notice when he says for people, so what he's doing is he's explaining why there will be times of difficulty. Okay, it's not just that times of difficulty happen to happen, there's a reason for it. He says there will be times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They will be proud and arrogant. They will be abusive. People will be disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. People will be brutal. They will not love good. They will be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. And one of the things God has, has uh, showed me and, and led me to recently is a philosophy, a worldview that is invading our society and, I believe, invading the world society. And this worldview is even affecting the church. And the, the actual official name of this philosophy or worldview is called critical theory. 
And critical theory is an attempt to redefine the roles of individuals and groups within society. And critical theory is a new worldview that's really an old worldview, but it's been repackaged. And it's making its way into our society, and it's trying to create a standard of morality that is godless. When atheism began to really move into world thought, it creates a vacuum of morality. Because if you take God out of your worldview, then how do you define what is good and what is evil? Because traditionally and throughout history, good and evil have always been defined by some kind of precept that was sent by a god by, or sent by some form of higher authority than human beings. And in our Western society, with the, it has been mainly the Judeo-Christian ethic which has established what good and evil are. And atheists have always struggled to define and set a precedent or set a standard for good and evil because they take God out of the equation. And what we're seeing today is that this new, newly packaged philosophy of critical theory is trying to establish a godless authority for what is good and what is evil. And it is also trying to establish what justice means. Because when you take God out of the concept of justice, all that you're left with is, a fa is fairness, not justice. Because we know that God's justice is based on his perfect character. He establishes what justice is based on his character of what good and evil are. And so when you remove God from society, you have to find some way of redefining what justice means. And critical theory attempts to redefine what justice means with a form of fairness, of making everything fair. Because if you don't have a higher standard of justice, if you don't have a, a, an overarching idea of what good and evil are, all that's left is fairness. Now, critical theory has three main uh, alleged uh, established things that it tries to establish. I'm running out of words here, sorry. Um, critical theory tries to establish three main pillars that I'm going to talk about today. The first one is that critical theory splits society and splits the people of society into two different groups, the oppressors and the oppressed. And they use various definitions of oppressor groups and oppressed groups, okay? And you will fall into, they almost mathematically try and split you into in this area, you fall into the oppressor, and in this area, you fall into the oppressed. But really what they do is they try and split people into these oppressor and oppressed groups, okay? And then once you're in that group, you're kind of stuck there. There's not much you can do because what they allege is that all of your belief systems are based on whether you are, are well, really they're based on what the oppressor group has set up to maintain their authority and maintain their power, all right? 
And so critical theory splits people up into oppressor groups and oppressed groups. Secondly, critical theory advocates for the tearing down of the oppressor group and the tearing down of the oppressor group philosophy. All right. Third, the third thing I want to talk about today is that it declares, critical theory declares that the highest purpose of a human being is to dismantle these alleged oppressive cultural structures in order to free the oppressors from their oppression. So three things that critical theory does is it splits people into groups of oppressor groups or oppressed groups. Secondly, it advocates for pulling down people who are in the oppressor groups. So if you're an, oppress an oppressor group, then it is um, mandated by critical theory that we pull you down to a more equal, fair level with the oppressed. And that's how we create equality. And then third, it declares that the highest person of a human being in society is to dismantle the oppressor philosophies to again make things fair. Now, we could have a big, long political discussion from a purely political standpoint and talk about how this theory actually lays a foundation for Marxism and creates a worldview which is a godless... Of, it, it creates a worldview where you can create a, hegem a hegemony where this godless worldview can be forced on other people. All right? Hegemony is like where you have, where um, the values of a society are established by the ruling class or by an overarching philosophy that mandates what society believes rather than um, a, a, an individual deciding for themselves what is good and what's wrong. Um, this establishes a... a um, a morality that can be enforced on society, all right? So from a purely political and philosophical standpoint, we could talk about all that, but we're not going to talk about that today. Okay. Because as followers of Jesus, our number one goal is to talk about how worldviews and philosophies compare to the gospel of Jesus and to what the Bible teaches us. And one of the dangers of critical theory is that it is encroaching into church teaching. And it is encroaching into um, church and, and those who, who claim to be Christians and those who claim to be Jesus followers are actually being deceived by this um, philosophy of uh, critical theory and are being pulled away from the truth of the gospel. Now, please don't listen. I'm Don't hear, because in, in critical theory, what they want to do is they want to split everybody into two groups. There are those who believe the oppressive, their oppressive philosophy, and there are the oppressed who need to be a free, freed from the oppressive philosophy. But I want to establish that, listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ and what Jesus taught and what the Bible teaches doesn't fall into any, either one of those groups. Okay, And what I want to do today is I want to clearly summarize what the Bible says about individuals and society, and I want to clearly make a difference and make an established 
um, declaration that critical theory does not fit in with what the Bible teaches. It does not fit in with what Jesus teaches because there are authors and people out there that will tell you that Jesus came to establish a critical theory perspective on the world and that Jesus came to tear down oppressive power structures and free the oppressed from oppressive power structures. And when we examine what what the Bible teaches and what Jesus teached, we uh, what Jesus taught, we find that it doesn't fit in with critical theory at all. Not at all. And that's what I want to cover today, especially in light of those of these three um, established pillars of critical theory. So let's start. Number one, we talked about how critical theory alleges that there are two groups, that there are oppressors and oppressed, okay? The Bible teaches that all human beings, all human individuals have sinned and basically, and we're going to cover how it teaches this, but basically the Bible teaches that all human beings are oppressors. And it doesn't matter whether you're white or uh, a, a person of color. It doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor. None of those things matter. What the gospel teaches and what the Bible teaches is that every human being starts out as an oppressor. All right? And we're all guilty of being oppressors. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, it says, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. For there is no distinction. Okay? In critical theory, they want to make a distinction between the oppressed and the oppressors, and the oppressed are more guilty than the, or the oppressors are more guilty than the oppressed are. And basically what it works out to is that the oppressed have kind of a free pass to behave poorly because they're oppressed. That's why you will see in the modern political environment, there are those who will condemn the, the evils of police officers, but they give a free pass to oppressed peoples to do whatever they want. They can burn things, they can hurt people, they can lie, they can, um, they can uh, ha basically have a free pass for poor behavior, whereas those who are, the who are in the oppressor groups are condemned for the way they behave. It's because they separate these. But look at Romans 3. It says in verse 22, there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are only justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the Bible tells us that there is no distinction. All have sinned. Now, sin is selfishness and pride. Sin is choosing one's own desires over the needs of other people. Sin is the opposite of love because it is always self-centered, not other-centered. 
Sin is a rebellion to God's ways and commandments, which are always expressions of pure love. And we are all guilty of sin, and sin makes all of us oppressors. When you are in sin, you are an oppressor because you try and take from other people to satisfy your own needs and desires. And it is only through the blood of Jesus that we are set free from that sin and set free from those sinful, um, from slavery to that sin and that we can be set free to love. And this is true for rich people and poor people. It's true for white people and people of color. It's true for um, any of these distinctions that is made by critical theory. The gospel doesn't make those distinctions. It says we're all guilty. We're all guilty of sin and selfishness and oppression of others. The Bible reveals that every one of us is an oppressor. And it also tells us that each one of us, each human being will be held accountable to the one just judge who is God for our own sin. Critical theory wants to hold an entire group accountable and make an entire group pay for the sins of their group. But the gospel and the Bible tell us that every human being will held, be held accountable to God for their own oppressive ways and their own sin. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Flip or click, it doesn't matter to me. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now look at verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Bible tells us that every individual human being will give an account to God for their own sin, for their own oppressive ways, for their own choices. And this is where we must call on the name of Jesus to cover us for that sin, to, to receive the forgiveness that God offers for our individual sin. But I want to make it very clear, first of all, that where critical theory divides society into oppressor and oppressive and oppressed groups, the gospel says all of us are oppressors. The Bible teaches that every single one of us is an oppressor and we will be held accountable to God for our sin, for our selfishness, for our pride, for our, our, our lack of love. Secondly, Critical theory advocates for the pulling down of oppressors, for bringing oppressors down to be on an equal level with the oppressed. But the Bible teaches us that we are not judges over other people. We are all defendants. 
We are not judged by society. We are judged by a holy God. And in the presence of the holy God and that judge, we are all defendants. And we do not have the right to to make judgment over other people. Critical theory says that the oppressed have the right to raise themselves up in judgment over the oppressors. And the Bible tells us that no one has the right to judge anyone else. Look at Luke chapter 6. Jesus told us in Luke and in Matthew how to deal with oppressors and and what we ought to do in response to those who oppress us. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. It's also found in Matthew, but I'm going to go with the Luke passage today. Jesus said... But I tell you, but I say to you here, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish others to do to you, do so to them. Jesus does not support tearing down oppressors. Jesus says to his followers, love those who oppress you. Pray for them. Do good to them. If they take from you, give extra. Why? Verse 32, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 34, And if you love, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35, this is what Jesus says. This is his expectation for his followers. Please understand that this is not necessarily Jesus' expectation for everyone in society. This is Jesus' expectation for those who follow him. Verse 35, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful even as your father is merciful jesus never taught that we should tear down those who are in power He never taught that you should tear down people who are in power. He taught that we should lift everyone up in love equally. That we should lift the oppressed up with love. That we should lift the oppressors up with love. Jesus never taught his followers ever to tear people down. We are always to lift them up in prayer. Lift them up by loving them. Always, always. Jesus' followers are never, 
he didn't call us to build up the weak and tear down the strong because the truth is that in Jesus' eyes, oppressors are just as broken and poor in spirit as the oppressed are. If someone is an oppressor, it's because they're poor in spirit, because they're broken on the inside. And you know what? You can have poor people, all the divisions that critical theory makes, make no difference to God because God doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the heart. And there are poor people who are oppressors. And there are rich people who are oppressed in God's eyes. And he never calls us to tear people down. He always calls us to lift people up because all human beings are in the same place before God. All human beings are found guilty compared to God's perfect justice of being oppressors to their fellow human beings. All human beings are in need of mercy and redemption and grace. Look with me at Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Here's more of what Jesus said about the oppressed and the oppressors. Okay? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Do you understand that in God's courtroom, those who point their finger at the oppressors in society will be judged by the same standard. And God will hold them accountable for that, how they oppressed other people. Jesus says, don't put yourself in a place of judgment over others or you will be judged by the same standard that they are judged by. Every one of us has oppressed someone else. Every one of us is guilty at some point in time of using another person to get what we want. And God will hold us accountable for that. He says in verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, he says, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. What Jesus teaches and what the Bible teaches is that each one of us must go to God first for forgiveness and second for the grace to be different, for the grace to stop being an oppressor and start being a lover of human beings. Critical theory wants to separate society into the oppressed and the oppressors. God wants to turn all of us into lovers of people. Does that make sense? The, what God teaches and what Jesus teaches doesn't even fit into the critical theory worldview. We are called to repent of our own sin and learn how to love people by following Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Critical theory calls for the alleged oppressor group to be dragged down 
And critical theory says that poor behavior on the part of the oppressors can be justified within the context of this high purpose of dragging down the oppressors and making things fair for the oppressed. So within that worldview, people can be harmed, property destroyed, reputations ruined. It teaches that one can overlook one's own poor behavior because the oppressor structure is so evil, I can turn a blind eye to my own poor behavior if it's within the effort of tearing down this horrible, evil, oppressive structure. But the Bible teaches Jesus' followers the exact opposite. Turn with me to Romans 12, starting in verse 14. This is overwhelmingly taught in the scriptures. So far we've looked at Luke, we've looked at Matthew, now we're going to look at Romans, where Paul says that when it comes to oppressor and oppressed, this is what he says. Verse 14 in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. We're not allowed as followers of Jesus to be to have poor behavior in order to tear down other people. We're not allowed. Even if we're being unjustly persecuted, we are not allowed to have poor behavior. We are to bless and not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. You know what that means? That means we don't divide. We live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. In other words, don't set yourself in, up in pride, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. We don't set ourselves up in judgment over other people. We are, we are humble. We associate with the lowly. We're never conceited. So even as we associate with the lowly, in other words, those who are being oppressed, we don't set ourselves up over oppressors. We bless them. We don't curse them. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In other words, there's a higher measure of what is honorable. And that is to love people. If possible, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Critical theory is entirely based on vengeance. We have to pull down the oppressive structures and we have to make the oppressors pay for what they've done. That's vengeance. And Jesus' followers are called to not fall into that deception. That deception. We're supposed to leave vengeance in God's hands. It's not our job to tear people down and to somehow make them pay for what they've done. Not as Jesus' followers. To the contrary, Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And here's the principle that Jesus' followers must live by. And it flies directly in the face of what critical theory teaches. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. If there are oppressive, evil structures in our society, how, is, how are Jesus' followers supposed to confront that? By overcoming it with good, not by returning evil for evil. And there's no excuse. When we return evil for evil, we become that which we profess to hate. We overcome evil with good. We don't counter it with more evil. Listen, as Jesus followers, the gospel of Jesus and the teachings of the Bible say, we are to treat poor and rich, oppressed and oppressors exactly the same. Love them. Bless them. Pray for them. Edify and build them up as individuals. We don't bunch people together as a group and judge them based on the group or decide not to judge them based on a group. As followers of Jesus, we do the same thing that Jesus does, that we love and we bless and we serve each individual as a precious, individual, unique creation of God that Jesus died for and loves Finally, the third point. Critical theory teaches that the highest person of a per, the highest purpose of an individual in society is to destroy oppressive power structures and make sure that all people have equal access to resources. When you listen to people who believe critical theory, it is all about money and resources. And it's all about how do we equally distribute resources, tear down the oppressive structures that, that mean that some people get more than other people do, and we equally distribute the resources. But the Bible teaches us that the highest purpose of an individual is to seek first the kingdom of heaven and to follow Christ. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. This is what Jesus taught. Jesus didn't teach the redistribution of resources to make everything fair and make sure everybody has the same amount. In fact, we know from Bible teaching that money doesn't solve problems. Money doesn't fix your problems. Jesus says, again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, Jesus is saying, isn't life about more than resources, stuff, money? Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns yet. Now listen to this. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Critical theory is a godless world view. Critical theory starts with the same thing that Darwinistic evolution does. Well, we'll start with there is no God. Now let's explain how everything works. Okay? And critical theory does the same thing. It says there is no God, so it is up to us to make sure everybody is fair. There is no God, so it is up to us to make sure that the rich don't have more than the poor have. 
But Jesus brings us back to a kingdom mindset. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. As Jesus followers, it's not up to us to make sure that justice is done on the earth. It's not up to us to make sure that everything is fair. He says, look at it from God's perspective. Are you not of more value than the birds of the air? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But, verse 30, God brings it back to a kingdom perspective. He says, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. In other words, the people who are outside of God's kingdom are worried about resources. Jesus says, If you are a follower of me, if you are a child of God, it is not your concern to be worried about resources it is your concern to do something different he says your heavenly father knows you need all these things so verse 30 but seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you so what does that mean pastor scott does that mean i should quit my job and not worry about getting a paycheck does that mean I should just be foolish with my money? Does that mean I should go live in a cave somewhere? No. But you know what? You change your priority. Do you know why you go to, job, to your job and work hard? Because it brings glory to your Savior, Jesus. That's why you go to work and work hard. Because it brings glory to Jesus when you do that. The Bible teaches us, do all things as though you were doing them to God and not for men. So you get up in the morning and you show up on time for your job and you work hard and you have integrity and you do what you're supposed to do and you don't leave until you're done or until you're allowed to leave. Why? Because that brings glory to Jesus. And then God may use your job to meet your needs. You know what? He might not. Through this whole COVID thing, there are a lot of people that are learning that their job is not a dependable source for resources. Because there's lots of companies that are closing and lots of people are out of work right now because of COVID. As Jesus followers, we trust God to meet our needs. We don't concern ourselves with the redistribution of resources. You know what? There are people much richer than I am. They are not my business. They're not my business. Now, if I meet someone who is struggling and who is in poverty, it's my responsibility to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. How do I help them? How do I help raise them up? But the rich are not my business. I don't sit in judgment over them. 
They're accountable to God for what they do. I'm accountable to God for what I do. Did you know that greed and selfishness have nothing to do with how much money is in your bank account? There are poor people barely surviving that are super greedy. And there are wealthy people who make a lot of money who are super selfless. There are evil rich people and there are evil poor people. There are oppressive rich people and there are oppressive poor people. There are oppressive white people and there are oppressive people of color. But you know what? As followers of Jesus, we all learn how to love wherever we are at, whatever our skin color is, however, whatever kind of socioeconomic strata we come from, whatever money we make in our jobs, as Jesus followers, we submit all of that to his lordship and we learn how to be like Jesus. So there are rich people who are learning how to be like Jesus and there are what we would call poor people who are learning to live like Jesus. Because when we are Jesus followers, suddenly our concern is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of people. Our concern is the kingdom of God, not how do we get resources, not how to make things fair. So how do we transform society? Is that basically your question? How do we transform society? That's how that's what I'm closing with. And I promise I'm clothing. I'm closing. I'm clothing. I am clothed, thank heavens. It's not that kind of video. Um but that's what I'm closing with is how do we transform society? How do we make society more just? How do we raise the oppressed? Well, first of all, we don't take responsibility for society by attacking the fruit of the tree. If I have a fruit tree in my backyard and I want to get rid of that fruit tree, I don't go out and tear all the fruit off it. That will not get rid of the tree, okay? What I have to do is I have to go in and I have to dig the tree out by the roots. Listen, inequality and injustice in society is a result of heart issues. It is not a result of inequality of resources. More money will not make you a better person. Less money will not make you a better person. It is the, the evils of society are not a result of inequality, of unequal access to resources. The evils in society are a result of hearts that are selfish, hearts that are bound by sin and fear. That is the root of evil in a society. And here is the guideline. Transformed people transform societies. What our society is, needs is to have hearts transformed by the love of Jesus. 
What our society needs is it needs people who realize that they are loved by God, who turn their back on their old selfish way of life and become followers of Jesus, become disciples of Jesus, where Jesus is teaching them how to love people. And as people turn away from their selfishness and begin to follow Jesus, guess what? That transforms society. Hey, Karl Marx and the communist revolution in Russia tried to transform society. You know what they did? They just created a new way of there to be oppressors and oppressed. That's all they did. They didn't change anything. In communist China, They tried to transform society by the redistribution of resources. You know what they ended up with? Just a new definition of who was the oppressors and who was the oppressed. That's all they did. You know why? Because redistribution of resources doesn't change anything. In Venezuela, they tried socialism. They tried to transform their society. You know what they ended up with? Just a new set of people who are oppressors and oppressed. That's all that happened. Transformed people transform society. Government can't fix it. And you cannot fix society without God being involved because fairness never fixes anything. What our culture needs is to realize that every human being starts out as an oppressor. And we need Jesus to teach us how to be lovers of people, not oppressors of people. And only when Jesus changes hearts is society changed. There's no other way to do it. And I want to sound the call of what is the true gospel of Jesus Christ and what does the Bible teach his followers to do. And we must recognize when false teaching tries to make its way into the church. And we have to cling again to the kingdom of God and not worry about redistribution of resources and not worry about tearing people down. Love never tears people down. Love always lifts people up. And if we are to follow Jesus, Jesus and and God's kingdom is all about loving people and lifting them up, not tearing people down. But most importantly, we have to avoid the temptation to bunch people into groups and then say their group is so evil that I don't have to pay attention to my own selfishness. We have to each examine our own hearts. David said, God, examine me. Let me know if there's any wickedness in me. And he repented of his own evil doing. And that's what we have to do and turn and follow Jesus. So Lord, we come before you today. And God, we ask that in our culture, truth and love would be exalted and falsehood and lies and selfishness would be repressed. And let it be, let that happen. Let love be exalted and selfishness oppressed 
not because we come in and force people to behave in a certain manner, but let it happen in me and through me first. Let me be an agent of change for my society that love is exalted and selfishness is repressed. You taught us to pray. You said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that happens when your followers behave by kingdom standards, not earthly standards. God, let your people rise up as lovers of people, regardless of what their skin color is, regardless of how much money they make, even regardless of their life choices, God. It is our responsibility as Jesus followers to love them. We, we don't condone their behavior, but we love them because that's what you do. Father, you cause the rain to fall on the evil and the good. And as it says in Matthew, we want to be children of our Father who is in heaven. And so it is our calling to love people where they are. God, let us love the sinner and hate our own sin so that we will be leading people to a better way of life because they're seeing it manifest in us. A way of life that is free of fear, free of selfishness, free of anger. God, where we are living out the fruit of the Spirit and other people become hungry for that same freedom that we've found as we follow Christ. And we ask Jesus that in these dark times, you would be lifted up and that you would draw all men to you. And we ask it by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for your patience today. I went a little long, um, but I just want to encourage you. You know what? God is moving in our world today. And we want to be a part of it. We want to invite you to be a part of it. We believe in you. We believe in Jesus in you. And we'll talk to you next week.